Hello and welcome to the Jubitate Podcast. Your home for underreported topics of the day. Traversing the world, searching for sanity. Welcome to the Dubitate Podcast. We're discussing China and global security, and I'm joined by Donald S. Zagoria, Senior Vice President of the National Committee on American Foreign Policy. He served as the Project Director for the Forum on Asia-Pacific Security, FAPS, from its founding until 2020. Under his direction, FAPS initiated and continues to run six major Track 2 dialogues on regional security issues in the Asia-Pacific. Prior to joining NCAFP, Professor Zagorio was a consultant during the Carter administration to both the National Security Council and the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs of the State Department. Professor Zagorio is also actively associated with the East Asian Institute of Columbia University, has been a member of several Columbia University study groups, and is actively involved with the Asia Society and the Council on Foreign Relations in New York. He has written or edited four books and more than 300 articles on relations among the great powers in the Asia-Pacific region. Professor Zagoria, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Shall I call, I I can call you Sanj? You can, yes. All right, thank you, Sanj. One one popular perception in the U.S. about China's long-term policy objectives is that uh, Beijing's aspirations of regional hegemony would restore a xenocentric order in, in their part of the world. Uh, would you say that those aspirations are true, and is that described correctly? Well, uh, I I think I have a major caveat. Uh, I, I, it seems to me the Chinese leadership uh, is are realists. Whatever else they are, they are they are quite realistic, and they are well aware that they are a long way from uh, uh, being the regional hegemon in East Asia. The United States still maintains active alliances with Japan, Korea, the Philippines, uh, all the powers in Asia, uh, the Indo-Pacific region, India, uh, Australia, the Southeast Asian countries, South Korea are very wary uh, of uh, Chinese influence and Chinese power. Uh, China has territorial disputes with, uh, with India with several Southeast Asian countries. All of, or most of all of the countries in the region uh, have ties, uh, including security ties with the United States. And the United States maintains a very active naval and military presence in the region. So, uh, you know, the, uh, I, I don't think the, uh, the Chinese leadership has any illusions about uh, they're being able to be the regional hegemon, at least in the foreseeable future. Does that mean to suggest that Beijing is not interested in being that regional hegemon or that they're just not effectively executing the plan or, or that they lack a, uh, you know, a clear strategic vision for it? Well, uh, as I say, uh, I think they are, I don't know what their, long, their long-term vision is. I'm not sure they have one. Uh, clearly, they want to increase their power and influence in the region, and clearly they are doing that uh, uh, as best they can through economic, diplomatic, political means. Uh, 
I think their their primary method for advancing their influence is economic. They are the leading uh, trade partner, trade and investment partner with most of the countries in the region, uh, uh, just as they maintain a very uh, uh, lofty uh, trade with the United States. So uh, none of the countries in the region want to offend China, and they certainly don't want to choose between China and the United States. Turning a little bit to security, which is your uh, subject of expertise, how how did you get involved in uh, global security, uh, specifically as it relates to China? Well, in the 1960s, I wrote a book on the Sino-Soviet conflict, uh, which I think was one of the first uh, major works on that subject. And uh, I had been uh, uh, tracking uh, Soviet and Chinese uh, media for many years and uh, came to the conclusion in the late 50s, early 60s, that there was a very serious rift developing between the two. Was that the the emergence of um, China, uh, you know, as a... Uh, global or economic uh, superpower uh, beginning in the 90s, or you mentioned the rift beginning prior to then, and you noticing and writing about it in the 60s. Uh, when when did China emerge as a global security actor? I would say they emerged as a global security actor much, much later than that, uh, when their economy developed into the second largest economy in the world. They They now have a gross national product of some $14 trillion, and uh, the United States still remains number one with about $21 trillion. But the United States and China together constitute about 25% of the global economy, and China's gross national product is uh, 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 double the uh, gross national product of Germany and Japan, or Japan and Germany, the third and fourth largest economies in the world. So I, I, it seems to me that although they were a major power in the 60s, uh, they didn't uh, uh, have as much uh, influence until their economy took off under Deng Xiaoping uh, in the late 70s after Mao died. In, in the present age, a lot of what happens today is opaque to us, right, in the U.S. Uh, could, could you describe China's security apparatus? What are some of the, uh, you know, fundamental characteristics of Chinese security? And and I guess an ancillary question to that, um, out of personal curiosity, is how much is President uh, Xi Jinping directly involved in security matters? I think he's, uh, Xi Jinping is directly involved in almost every important aspect of Chinese politics, and security is clearly uh, uppermost in their thinking. Uh, I would, uh, I think the place to begin is to understand that uh, China is what has been called a surveillance state. Uh, they um, they have a state security, public security bureau that uh, maintains offices at every level of the Chinese political system. Uh, and they maintain surveillance over uh, their entire population of foreigners. Uh, they keep track of what people are saying and thinking and uh, 
so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's very heavy on surveillance. They they, they have a, a serious uh, security problem. Uh, they have uh, 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 several million uh, Uyghurs in Xinjiang province who are disaffected, a Muslim minority. Uh, many of them are in uh, so-called work camps, labor camps. Uh, they keep track of the, of, 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 the, of the people in Xinjiang very carefully. They keep uh, they they have to worry about Hong Kong, where protests have been significant in recent in recent year or two. Um, and uh, they 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 keep track on their own human rights activists, lawyers, uh, intellectuals. Uh, so it's a, it's a very very heavy on surveillance and uh, keeping track of the population. Yeah, you have to understand. I think that uh, the Chinese leaders are mesmerized by the collapse. Of the Soviet Union and the Soviet uh, Communist Party, uh, and their greatest fear, I think, is that they will suffer the same fate. And uh, they have good cause to be concerned. Well, with those domestic problems and security concerns, uh, how do those play globally or act on Beijing's relationship with Washington? Well, I think right now there are rising tensions between China and the United States. Uh, as Kissinger has said, we're in the foothills of a new Cold War. Uh, and just uh, this week, we, uh, the Trump administration apparently has taken new steps uh, against Huawei to forbid it from uh, acquiring American technology. And the Chinese are now threatening to retaliate. So uh, we could be witnessing... Uh, an escalation of tensions over technology. Uh, we already have serious tensions over Taiwan, over the South China Sea, uh, and um, uh, so uh, we're in. A, I think we're in a very dangerous uh, situation at the moment. With the with the chief danger being that these tensions could get out of control. These are tensions that need to be managed. And uh, they were effectively managed uh, in previous American administrations, but the Trump administration has not been very effective at uh, managing those tensions. Indeed, the Trump administration has not been very effective in maintaining a, a, a dialogue with the Chinese. Uh, the uh, State Department uh, virtually has no uh, talks going on with China at the moment. We still have military-to-military -military talks, uh, but the uh, uh, only uh, serious talks we have are those that take place intermittently between Trump and Xi Jinping at the summit level. We have no working-level dialogue uh, on political issues between the two countries, and that is extremely dangerous. Now, there was... Um there there seemed to be a, a palpable drop off um in that level of communication in, in at the start of the Trump administration while they kept that level of dialogue with uh for example Russia and and also 
obviously increase the dialogue with North Korea. Uh, was this by design or did events overcome policy in this case? No, I think I think the problem is that uh, Trump has uh, very little confidence in experts or in his diplomats, uh, and um, he thinks the only thing that really matters is his uh, dialogue with uh, Xi Jinping. But uh, I think that's a uh, that's a mistaken view. Uh, the uh, Issues between China and the United States uh, are very complicated, and uh, uh, I, I, I don't think that uh, uh, high-level meetings without effective working-level preparation can be uh, very useful. And we saw that from uh, several and several of the meetings between Trump and Xi Jinping. They came away with. Uh, statements that were very vague and which the two sides interpreted quite differently. Uh, So uh, there's no real effective uh, diplomatic dialogue between the two countries going on. Yeah, so maybe with a less complex uh, situation in in a a smaller country, that one-on-one dialogue might produce some results. But here it's too complex. It's too large of uh, of a number of topics, the, diplom- the diplomacy has to be conducted at multiple levels, and uh, right now, that's not what you're right. saying. Does, you had mentioned uh, Huawei's uh, 5G technology. Well, the 5G technology is one of the topics, right, which is causing concern. There are other things like the social platform TikTok uh, and, and its collection of data. Um, things like you know capturing keystrokes and profiles and location data and all that type of information being uh, in the hands of uh, of the Chinese. Are, are the concerns legitimate on the technological front, at least? Well, I, uh, I, I think uh, con- some of the concerns are legitimate, but uh, we don't want to enter into a technology cold war with China. First of all, we will not get the cooperation of uh, many of our allies. Uh, who continue to do business with Huawei and the Chinese. Uh, and secondly, we need uh, to um, be able to cooperate with them on uh, some areas of technology. So I think it's uh, it's a very dangerous path that we're now on. So what is the solution for that then, uh, it, for the concerns? Are, is it to channel it through you know, a consortium of or, or a group of countries that express those concerns and have dialogue, and perhaps the U.S. hand off some of that to others to more effectively communicate and negotiate, or is it that you know we just begin the dialogue? No, I think it would be. A good, I think it would be a good idea to do this multilaterally. Uh, that's one of the areas which the Trump administration has not been very strong on. But uh, uh, technology is a global issue, a global problem. Uh, and uh, we need to have a dialogue uh, on uh, how to share global technology, both with China and with uh, other uh, countries in the world. If I can ask you to be a prognosticator here, uh, what what do you think the next, let's say, five to ten years holds um, for us? Is it really difficult to say because 
um, of the election coming up and, and what a new administration may potentially b- bring if there is one? I think the election will be uh, crucial. Uh, let me be clear, any, any American administration will have problems with China. Uh, it's a rising power. We're in the established power. And uh, history teaches us that uh, there's always tensions between established and rising powers. Uh, We have different ideologies. We have different political systems. We have different goals. uh, And we have a a lot of issues over North Korea, Taiwan, South China Sea, uh, technology, trade. Uh, So any American administration would have difficulty managing its relationship. But uh, I think uh, that uh, uh, a Biden administration would uh, handle this issue uh, differently, more as the Obama administration and the Clinton administration uh, handled it. And uh, uh, at least we would have a a functioning uh, diplomatic dialogue uh, which is the uh, which is necessary to uh, begin to iron out uh, and manage differences. So uh, I, uh, you know, I, I I think the election will will be critical, uh, and it seems to me the U.S. China administration, U.S. China uh, relation, the need to be whoever wins the election, uh, Biden or Trump, uh, will have to figure a way to reset relations with China on a more stable path, because we're now in a very, very dangerous situation. Agreed. A Washington Post article today had the headline, Is a U.S.-China Cold War Already Underway? We'll stay on this and may have you back at a later date. Uh, We've been joined by Donald S. Zagoria, Senior Vice President of the National Committee on American Foreign Policy. Thank you, Professor, for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you very much, Sanj, and uh, I wish you the best. Please visit jubitate.com for links and source material for this podcast. We welcome listener feedback and ideas for future shows. If you are a podcast host and would like to be cross-linked to your podcast, please email info at jubitate.com. Until next time, when we once again traverse the world searching for sanity.